This morning, we continue in our series on issues of the heart. We've talked about abortion. We've talked about what God says about hunger. Today, we're going to talk about one of the more volatile issues in society today, and that issue is homosexuality. How does it impact society? How does it impact the world? This is not a trivial matter. It affects religion. It affects religious circles. It affects the business environment. It affects social environments. It affects a lot of different things. Considering these 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 stories, in North Carolina, there was a recent law passed that said that individuals have to use the bathroom that corresponded with the gender on their birth certificate. Now, I don't know how they're going to enforce that, but that's the law. And the consequences of that is that many, many large companies and organizations begin boycotting North Carolina, costing them millions of dollars in their economy. Consider what happened in Houston in, 19, in, in, 19, in, in 2014. The Houston mayor and, and the, the city council passed an ordinance that said that Everybody could use the bathroom that they identified with. In other words, if you identified as a woman, you could use a woman's bathroom. If you identified as a man, you could use the man's back, uh, bathroom. So a local, a local group of Christian activists and pastors so, uh, put a petition out toward the city, toward the city government to, to mandate that it go on the ballot and not just be a, a law passed by the uh, city council. And so once this happened, the mayor of the city challenged the signatures on the petition, and then, and I wrote it down, then she subpoenaed, let's see if I got this, then she proceeded to subpoena sermons given by local pastors who opposed the law and Christian activists in the community. Now, it was eventually struck down. She couldn't do that. And then consider this week. I thought this was interesting. The Big 12 has recently been looking to expand their conference, uh, you know, to make it up to 12 people so they could get in a playoff and all this stuff. One of the teams that they were considering was Brigham Young University. But they had such an outcry from the LGBT community over accepting Brigham Young because of their stance against the LGBT community that they refused to do it, and I wrote it down. They said the back, they refused to expand the backlash because of BYU's stance against the LGBT community. The Big 12 did not want to deal with the negative publicity. They didn't want to deal with it. It makes me wonder how Baylor is in there, but that's another sermon for another day. And we all hear stories of bakers that have been forced to close their doors because they would not bake a cake for a gay marriage. We know of photographers that have lost their business because they would not participate in a gay marriage. And I even read recently of a chapel that was forced to close its doors because they would not allow gay people to marry in their chapel. So this is not a trivial matter. This is something that, that, that is affecting society. It affects many facets of life. It affects many facets uh, of our, our, our life in general, and it affects many different people. I, for one, know how easy it would be to bow down to political correctness. I, for one, know what it would be like just to accept this as the norm in society and move on. I, I know it'd be easier just not to make waves. 
that, that would be the same thing is. It would be easier, you know, let's just proclaim the, the gospel and we'll leave all this stuff to the politicians and, and let them sort it out. And we should proclaim the gospel. We should. Because the gospel has the power to change lives. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, see, we want to ask ourselves, is that the correct response as followers of Jesus Christ? We want to have a sound biblical footing whenever we deal with such a volatile issue that affects so many people. So this morning, we want to ask the question, what does God say about homosexuality? The first thing we want to look at is the teachings of Scripture. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture tell us about homosexuality? Uh, does it give us a sound footing? Uh, or is it vague? Well, I think as we go through the Scripture, we can't look at all of them, but I think we'll see that the Scripture is pretty clear about its stance of homosexuality. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Isn't it amazing? When we want to answer a, a lot of things about, about life, we always go back to Genesis 1. We go back to the way God originally designed things to be. I mean, I could take Genesis 1, we can talk about marriage, we can talk about divorce, we can talk about homosexuality, we can talk about sexual abuse, uh, we can even talk about God's love for creation. Uh, all that we can find in Genesis 1. And we haven't even got into the other passages of Scripture. But let's look at Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. You may remember that we looked at this two weeks ago under, the, under abortion. Now, here we are again, and we're going to look at it for God's foundation again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Skip down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, let's look at some select passages in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, specifically, look at verses 7 and 8 of Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Skip down to verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Finally, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So here we see the creation account in a, in a synopsis. God's plan from the beginning was one woman plus one man for all time. Uh, that was God's plan. That was his initial initiative. Adam, he made Adam for Eve, and he made Eve for Adam. He did not make Adam for Bob. He did not make Eve for Jane. He did not make Adam and Bob for Eve, and he did not make uh, Eve and Jane for Adam. That's not what he did. He made Adam. He made Eve. He made male, he made female, and then he joined them together in an exclusive relationship that was consummated in the sexual union. It's only in that sexual act that they can be glued together. You understand the picture. You understand what I'm talking about. 
You know, there's female parts and there's male parts, okay? Uh, we're not going to go any deeper than that, all right? We understand what it's talking about. They were glued together, and they were not ashamed of their nakedness and of what, how God had created them. Listen, anything outside the original design goes against God's plan. Anything outside of God's original design goes against His plan. Homosexuality is a perversion of God's plan. It's a perversion of God's plan. Genesis 19 tells us an interesting story. You don't have to turn there, but you'll know the story. But for those of you that don't remember, let me refresh your memory. God had come to Abraham and said, I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because their wickedness has risen up to me. So I'm going to go down and investigate it. So he sends two angels to go down and investigate uh, the, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to see if it, it indeed is true. This is the time that Abraham prayed, you know, would you spare it, would you spare it, would you spare it? And so he got the angels, two angels go into the city and they, they go to the house of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And as Lot is entertaining these two angels, there's a knock on Lot's door. And verse 5 says this, they called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Now the King James Version says this, bring them out to us so that we can know them. That's what the King James Version says. But the NIV says this, bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. I think that's pretty clear. But sometimes because we have that word no in the, in the, in the King James, and it's in the original languages, uh, that word no, uh, yada, it's in the original languages. So you have to look at the, the context of where that's used. That is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Adam lay with his wife, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a cane. Do you kind of understand what he means by no? The NIV says Adam lay with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth. In other words, Adam had sex with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. So the sin that we're talking about in, 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 uh, in Genesis chapter 19, along with others, there were other sins, they were, they were wicked, but the sin there is homosexuality is, is the, gross, the gross sin that's happening in that situation. In Genesis 19.24, we see God's judgment falling on those filled with immorality. The homosexuality assured their destruction, brought about their destruction. And according to the Bible that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was meant to be an example to others. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 says this, He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was an example to people, don't make the same mistake, don't do the same thing. You know, Paul tells us the things that happened in the Old Testament give us evidence that things that we shouldn't do are things that we should do. Now, turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 18, verses 22 through 25. Leviticus chapter 18, 22 through 25. Moses writes, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. 
A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. Can you believe the Bible talks about these things? Do not defile yourself in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Turn over to uh, a couple pages of Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. Moses writes, If a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their hands. Now, do I need to explain this to you? Or can we just let the Word of God speak for itself? Write it down. Write this truth down. Sexual perversion invites the judgment of God in our lives and in our land. Notice I didn't say homosexuality. I said sexual perversion invites the judgment of God in our lives and in our land. It is a sin worthy of death. There is not even a hint in scriptures that there are any exceptions. God condemns the act of homosexuality. He condemns it. Now, I know what you're saying. Now, wait a minute. That's Old Testament. We don't live under the law. We live under grace. It doesn't matter that Genesis, Genesis happened before the law was ever written. But we don't live under the law. We live under the grace. Amen? And praise God we live under the grace, right? So is the, does the New Testament say anything? Does the New Testament say anything about homosexuality? Turn into Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. This is an interesting passage because Jesus is actually answering a question about divorce. Is it lawful to divorce? But in the context of answering the question about divorce, Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning of time. And so in essence, he's answering, this is God's view of marriage. This is what he says. Look at what he says in Genesis chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read? I mean, it's almost like, you know, here these, these Pharisees, these Jewish scholars are coming to me. He says, haven't you read the Bible before? It's almost like, couldn't we ask that to a lot of church today? Are you not reading the Bible? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That word is glued together. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. These are the words of Jesus. So, so that they're, they're important for us. Now turn over real quick to, turn over to Romans Chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Now, I would advise you, when you go home, you need to read all of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32 to kind of pick up the whole story here. But for the sake of time, we're just going to focus on a couple of verses, 26 through 27. Notice what it says. Because of this, go back and see what he's talking about. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even the women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Here's what Paul is saying. When a woman turns to a woman rather than a man to fulfill her sexual needs, she's going against nature. That's what he says in this passage. It's unnatural. It's, it's, you take giving up natural relations for something that's unnatural. He says that when a man turns from a woman to a man to have his sexual needs met, he says it's indecent, is what he says in that passage. And then he finally goes on, he says, it's a perversion. It is a perversion. A perversion is when you take something and use it for a purpose it was not intended. That's what a perversion means. Now, notice up at the first, he says the shameful acts. That word shameful means without shape or without plan is what it means. So he's saying that homosexuality is against the plan of God. It doesn't have any shape. It doesn't have any plan to it. It's against the plan of God. I don't know of anything that mocks God's loving design any more than homosexuality. It mocks God. It's a radical rebellion against God. It's one of the rudest rejections of God's authority that you will ever find. It denies God's order. It denies God's design. It denies God's authority. It exchanges, as Paul says in verse 25, exchanges the truth of God for a lie. That's what it says in this passage. But the thing that's interesting about homosexuality is that God lists homosexuality as a sin of the flesh that Jesus Christ liberates a person from. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. I'll have it on the, on the screen for you, but it's always important that you, you know your Bible so you can, you can go to these verses. You know, I, I highlight them or underline them in mine. Here's what it says. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then notice what he says in verse 11. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Notice what Paul says. That, he doesn't say that is not, that's what some of you are. He says that's what some of you were. Past tense. Listen, the church at Corinth had some members who were, were former homosexuals who found life in Jesus Christ. They didn't have a special Sunday school class for homosexuals. Uh, they didn't have a, a separate part of the church uh, for homosexuals. They had a class of former homosexuals who had, been, who had met Jesus Christ and were changed. That's what they were. That's not what they are. They have been set free from the bondage of homosexuality. Paul is clear. He says in this passage, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. 
Look at it this way. Paul says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed. In other words, you were clean before God through confession. You were, you were sanctified. You, you set apart from the world and set apart unto God. You were justified. They were now in right standing before God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That's what those phrases mean, washed, sanctified, and justified. That's who you are now in your relationship with Christ. That's not who, that's not who you were at one time, but that's who you are today. Amen. That's what he's trying to say. The good news is, you want to know what the good news is? A homosexual can be saved. He can be saved. And praise God, praise God, many of them have been saved, just like they were in the church at Corinth. They can be saved. Now, before you start throwing stones at the homosexual, you need to read Romans 2, verse 1. This is what it says. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Paul is saying that self-righteous Judgment on homosexuality, get this, is just as sinful before God as the homosexual behavior itself. Wow. Didn't know that. Remember in, in Corinthians, that passage in Corinthians, look at it again. Notice what he says. He, he, he includes homos, in the homosexualities, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, Thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. It's not just homosexuals. It's all of these sinners. All of them. Woe be to us that we condemn the homosexual. We don't condemn the others either. Just as God does in his word. Listen, Jesus loves the homosexual. He went to the cross and died for the homosexual. But he despises their sin. The testimony of God's word from the beginning through the gospels and on into to the rest of the New Testament. It's clear. Homosexuality is a sin before God and before man, whether it's committed in thought, word, or deed. And God holds the homosexual responsible for their sin just as he does with any other sinner. They're responsible. Today, people say, well, homosexuality is a condition. I agree. It's a sinful condition. Some people say, I, I can't help it. But when they say, I can't help it, they are making a mockery of the Word of God. God says that He can set them free. And deliverance for the homosexual... The deliverance for the adulterer, the deliverance for the liar, uh, all these individuals mentioned. The deliverance for these individuals begins when a person begins seeing it as God sees it. It's a sin. That's when deliverance begins to start. If they don't recognize it as sin, they don't need deliverance in their opinion. So that's the, that's the, uh, that's the teaching of Scripture. Now, what, what is the tragedy of the saints? Well, what's going on? When sin is the darkest, the saint should shine the brightest. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. Now, there's lots of things that salt is used for. One of them is as a preservative. 
And Jesus is saying, saying, you are meant to prevent moral decay. You are supposed to preserve something in the world. Verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. Again, light has a lot of functions, but one of the main functions of light is to illuminate in the darkness. And in this this day of, of rampant sexual perversion, there are not many saints shining. In fact, most of them are silent. The saints are are compromising the Word of God. What we need to be doing as a church, what we need to be doing as individual Christians, thus saith the Lord. But gone are the days when, when the church says that. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. America needs to hear a word from the redeemed. But they don't just need to hear any word. They need to hear God's word. They need to hear the truth of God's word. We need to speak up and we need to stand up like the prophets of old and say, thus saith the Lord. And remember what they did to the prophets, don't you? We need to stand up for the truth of God's word. I believe one of the greatest threats to changing the moral decay of our society is the church. I'll say it again. I believe one of the greatest threats to changing the moral decline in America is the compromised church. The church has compromised its values. We, we have this rising wave of accommodation in today's church, in many of our denominations. I was just reading this past week. I'm not going to mention who it was or where it was or what even what denomination. This is a professor of New Testament at a very reputable uh, seminary. And it's not Baylor. It's not Baylor, okay? Uh, a very reputable seminary. And, and just, uh, I'll, I'll just preface what he said. He said, we teach what the Bible says about homosexuality. He said, and this guy said, he said, the Bible in no way condones homosexuality. He admits it. But then he says, however, we refuse to accept the authority of God's Word. Instead, we choose to accept our own experiences and the experience of thousands of others who have found love in a same-sex relationship. That's what they said. Now, that's a paraphrase, but that's almost verbatim what they said. Accept our experiences over the Word of God. Listen, folks, when we start accepting accepting our experiences over the Word of God, we are on a slippery slope, a slippery slope. Which experiences do we value more than the Word of God? Listen, there are some things in the Word of God we may not like, but it's the Word of God. You don't, you, don't, you don't adjust the Bible to your way of life. You adjust your way of life to the Bible is what you do. I pray, I pray that our Southern Baptists will hold the line and that we will not compromise. For the, I'll tell you, and I'll just make this statement. The day the Southern Baptists compromise on this is the day I leave the Southern Baptist Convention. I just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that firm on this. It's time we stop substituting experience. 
It's time we stop substituting science for scriptures as the authoritative basis for sexual morality in America. It's time we stop. God's word has spoken. It's settled. Listen, the most compassionate message we can give to the homosexual is the uncompromising truth of the word of God. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's the most compassionate message we could ever give. So we've looked at the teaching of Scripture, the tragedy of the saints. Now what's the tearing of our society? What we are witnessing is the moral collapse taking place in our society. It is tearing our society apart. Tim LaHaye wrote this. We're looking at the wholesale destruction of the family and religious freedom in America. Michael Swift, a well-known gay activist, wrote, All laws banning homosexual activity will be revoked. Instead, legislation shall be passed which engenders love between men. All churches who condemn us will be closed. There are even some politicians in this day, right now, running for political offices that are saying that the church needs to adjust their teaching to conform with political correctness. And so what's happening under civil rights legislation? Discrimination that, that, that was written be, because of race and because of the color of one's skin. To, 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 not, to, to not treat them differently, but deny them act, you know, public access and all these things. We can't discriminate against these individuals. But they're using that, that civil rights legislation. The homosexual lobby is forcing the government to endorse their behavior through the power of the law. And one of the places, I was shocked at this, one of the places they're gaining control is in our public schools. The National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, it's a lobbying group in Washington, D.C., is demanding that sex education courses which present homosexuality as a healthy alternative lifestyle be taught by gays and lesbians in the public schools. I can speak on that my idea of public education, but that's not the purpose of this. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 12, Jeremiah asked his people, he said, are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen and they will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. Teaching of, the, teaching of the scriptures, tragedy of the saints, the tearing of our society. The last one, the tactic for survival. There was a day when Christians assumed they had a duty to lead the world, to set the standards for society. Our generation has taken a back seat to political correctness. The result is that godless men and godless women influencing us and guiding us according to their maps and according to their plans for society. The church is cruising instead of crusading. Instead, we have a bunch of silent saints and a compromising church. This is not a time to lie down or to run out of steam. Jesus Christ promises us victory if we will stand faithful 
if we will be true and we will do what He's called us to do. We need to sound the alarm. If we don't take a stand now, the day will come when there won't be anything to stand for. So what do we do? What's the course for survival? The first one is to pray. Isn't it always interesting, Brother Mitch, how we always go back to prayer? I'm so grateful for Mitchell Parrish, and he's a prayer giant. And I know he'll go home today and he'll pray about this. As should we all. We need to pray. We need to pray for wisdom for ourselves. We need to pray for those that are caught in the cycle of sin. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for Barack Obama and our next president, whoever that person may be. We need to pray for them, the candidates running now, that God will get a hold of their lives, whoever they may be. Second, we need to uphold our God-given responsibilities in our homes. Listen, we can't leave sexual education of our children to the schools. Moms, dads, grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to teach your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. What does God say about love? What does God say about sex? What does God say about marriage? Maybe I get that backwards. Love, marriage, and sex. I did that on purpose. We need to be teaching them what the Bible says. And third, every church member has the responsibility to stand firm on the authority of the Word of God. We've got to oppose the use of tax money to fund the homosexual agenda. We've got to oppose it. We need to oppose school curriculums uh, that teach homosexuality as a legitimate option for sexual experience, expression. We need to oppose those who support such an agenda. Now hear me on this next one, because I do not want to offend any one of you that I love so deeply. We need to stop voting people, stop voting party, and start voting principles. On either side of the issue, we need to vote. The Bible condemns homosexuality. But here's the good news. The Bible promises forgiveness. I'm so glad it promises forgiveness. The Bible promises eternal life and, and, that the Holy, and, and He promises the Holy Spirit to those who will turn from their sin and turn to Christ. The Bible says that God is ready, He's willing, and He's able to forgive us of all of our sins. Jesus Christ can set a person free who comes to Him and says, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. Forgive me. Save me. Make me your very own. Jesus Christ can save you. He can save me. He has saved us, but you know what I mean. He can save the homosexual. He can save people that are stuck in a lifestyle of sin. Whoever that may be. And listen, 
In the eyes of God, sin is sin. He saved a sinner such as me. He saved a sinner such as you. And He can save a sinner like them. He has the power to do that. That's our message. That is the truth. We hate, we hate homosexuality and we would do everything in our power to stop it. But listen, we love, you hear me on this, we love the homosexual. You know why we love them? Because that is a person that Jesus Christ died for. And if they ever, if, they, if they're in our church or they come to church, we are going to embrace them, we are going to love them, and we're going to love them into the kingdom of God. They are welcome in our church. They're welcome. The same as a liar and a drunkard and a cheater and an idolater. They are welcome in our church. But we will not compromise the truth. So what are we supposed to do? We're going to have a time of invitation. You know, it's difficult to know. I, you know, I know, we, you know we always should have the invitation in mind. So I think what we'll do, we're just going to have a time of prayer. It's going to be our invitation. If you need to respond afterwards, because I know we have a business meeting come. If you need to respond afterwards, see me. I'll be standing in the back. See me and I'll talk to you personally. You know, this is a difficult subject and sometimes people don't want to come forward. But we want you to know we, we're here to talk. You can see Josh, you can see myself. Marcy will be available. If you just need somebody to talk with you or you need somebody to pray with you, we'll pray with you. Maybe you've got a family member going through this. Maybe we can pray with you over that. Would you join with me? Just stay seated. Join with me as I pray.